So it's Nehemiah chapter 5, 1 to 19. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we as far as we are able have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I said, or sorry, moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards and their houses and the percentage of money, grain, wine and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labour who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brother, ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily rations 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, beside those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. Amen. Thanks, Tanya. Uh, It'd be really good to keep your Bible open here, uh, Nehemiah chapter 5. If you're kind of newish here, or maybe you've been away for a bit, We are making our way through this great uh, book in the Old Testament called Nehemiah, uh, looking at the way in which 
God built his kingdom, was building his kingdom through Nehemiah, uh, through the people of Israel those many years ago, and thinking about how God is building his kingdom still today and how he's using us in that work. Now, so far, the things that we've looked at in the book of Nehemiah have, have been about problems and issues uh, outside of the people, uh, things that are going on around them, difficulties outside of themselves. Uh, but you notice that today that the focus changes a little bit. Um, for those who want a sermon outline, you may have got one on your way in. They were on the welcome desk. You can go and grab one. Uh, kids, young people who want one of the uh, other outlines, there's some there too, and maybe this will help you uh, follow along this morning. Let's uh, pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God who speaks. And we thank you for this time, this opportunity, now to consider what you are saying to us, your church. Lord God, we pray for the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit uh, in my speaking, in our listening. Lord God, that we would hear your voice, your word, and it would work powerfully. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, it seems to be that it's uh, almost every other week that a scandal breaks involving some high-profile person. Uh, Whether that's a a sporting star or a politician, uh, an actor, someone with many, many Instagram followers, uh, every now and then, and maybe quite often, the sordid details of something blow up, and we all get to hear about it. It happens so frequently now that we're almost not surprised. We're not really that shocked anymore. But at the same time, the media love it, don't they? We see pages and pages written, opinions are given, and and we as a society, we lap that up. Now often when that happens, when something breaks, we realize that there was something going on behind the scenes that we may not have had any idea about. Often it's hidden. Maybe there's a a certain facade or a public image that has been built up, but when this thing comes out, all of a sudden we realize there was more going on then than we thought. Now, so far in the book of Nehemiah, we could be fooled into thinking that things with the people themselves are not all that bad. All of the issues and concerns that we've looked at so far have kind of been external, physical, things outside of them. Yes, there's been hardship. Yes, the wall is broken and it needs rebuilding. There is opposition and there is discouragement. But mostly these have been things away from them. But it's like here in chapter 5, that the lid gets lifted, and we get to see that there is more going on here. Now, you remember a number of weeks ago when we started the series, we said that that this book is more than just about rebuilding a wall. And there's a second major theme which is starting here. Yes, the wall needs rebuilding, but at the same time, the people need reforming, changing. They need to be changed and renewed, and that's going to be our focus over the coming few weeks. Because kingdom building 
is not just work that happens out there. Kingdom building is not just something that we do in the lives of others and for others and outside the church. Kingdom building is a work that we need God to be doing amongst us and within us, both individually and communally. So this morning we're going to have a look at this chapter, chapter 5, which begins this theme. We're going to look at it in two parts. Firstly, we're going to have a look at the problem, the issue that we have here, and how Nehemiah confronts, how he addresses that issue to, to, to stop it. And then we're going to have a look at the new way, a different way, the way that Nehemiah himself models for us. So let's start then with the problem and how Nehemiah addresses it. And it comes right to the fore here in the first five verses of chapter 5. We read in verse 1 that there is a great outcry from the people. Now there's a couple of clues in here about what's going on. In chapter 1 it tells us there's a great outcry from the people and of their wives. Now, what, what, what's the special mention here? Well, it's most likely the case that this arises partly because the men are off doing the work of rebuilding the wall. Now, we know that there were some women involved, but from the laboring villages, maybe a lot of the men went off to do that rebuilding work and the wives have stayed behind. Something is happening to them that's causing this great outcry. And the second thing we learn is that it's something being done to them by their own people. It says there, the outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brothers. Something is going wrong here amongst the people of God. Now, the next couple of verses, we we get the complaints. And they, they, each of them, there's three of them, and they sort of build on each other. The first one there is that the people are starving and they cannot get any grain. They say, we want to we, we, give us some grain so we can eat and keep alive. Pe- people are on starvation rations at this point. The next complaint explains that a little bit further. People have had to mortgage their fields and their vineyards uh, and, or, and their houses to get grain because of the famine. And so people, people are in the situation where there's, there's nothing to eat, and, and so what do they do? That, well, they, they take out a loan on their property so that they can buy, have money so they can go and buy their grain, and we need something else there. This happens because there is a famine also going on in the land at this time. Then we have a, a third complaint, uh, starting in verse 4, and that explains it even deeper. Not only have they borrowed money to buy grain, they have borrowed money to pay the king's tax. That's not Israel's kings. That's, that's King Adaxerxes uh, living back there far away who had a massive program of taxation for everybody who lived under his rule. But see, what's happened, what's happened is that they've used their houses and their vineyards and their children as collateral in those mortgages. If we can't pay it back, they say, well, then you have to take our house and our vineyard and our kids. And they say some of our sons and daughters are their sons and daughters. Our daughters have already been taken away. 
And we can't do anything about it because our houses belong to other people now as well. We're caught here and we can't get out of it. Now in the following verses, we, we, we see a little bit more from this as well. We see that people have taken sons and daughters as collateral and then they have on-sold those children to the foreign nations. Israel's children are being sold on to foreigners. And it looks like that Nehemiah is actually trying to buy them back out of his own money. We learn that the lending of money is coming with interest and excessive interest. And in verse 7, we read that it's being done by the nobles and the officials. This is a problem within God's people. Something isn't right here. Now, well, we might think as we look at this, what on earth does this have to do with us? Is this saying that banks shouldn't charge interest? Or that slavery is bad and it should stop? Well, yeah, yeah, slavery is bad and it should stop. And we should be involved as much as we can in that. And it would be great if banks didn't charge any interest, wouldn't it? I mean, they're doing their best at the moment. It's pretty low, but it'd be great if they stopped it altogether. But, but this is not talking firstly about that. This is not talking about issues out there. This is talking about things that are happening in the people of God. The issue here is how God's people treat each other. It's how God's people live together as a community. You see, the way that we're called to live with each other is to be different at a different standard from the worst world around us. God saving us and making us his own in Christ shapes the way that we live together as a people. Now we can see this in Nehemiah's response. He doesn't say, take your concerns elsewhere, I'm too busy building a wall. Notice there in verse 6, I was very angry. Nehemiah is fuming. And in this situation, his anger is understandable. They are breaking very clear commandments of God for them, for the benefit of them as a people. Maybe you want to flick back with me uh, a number of chapters, uh, a number of books to Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, chapter 25. I want to have a look at a few verses there. It's almost, it's almost as if the complaints are being couched in the language of Leviticus 25. Have a look at Leviticus 25. Start reading from verse 35. If your brother, okay, brother, talking about fellow Israelite, fellow person who belongs to the family of God. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he will be a, were a stranger and a sojourner and he shall live with you. What shall you do if someone becomes poor? You shall support them. 
Verse 36. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God. Words that are going to come up here in the book of Nehemiah. Verse 37. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Verse 39. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall be with you until the year of Jubilee. Verse 42. For they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. That last verse is, is, is the gospel in the Old Testament, isn't it? I am the Lord your God. I rescued you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the land of slavery. Why would you send one another back to it? Don't charge with interest. Don't cast each other out. Don't make each other slaves. No wonder Nehemiah says here in chapter 4, this is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? Our God is the one who rescued us, who saved us from slavery. You're sending people back there. What is more is that these practices were some of the reasons why Israel went off into captivity in the first place. Listen to these words from the book of Ezekiel. At the time when the people are about to go off into that exile, Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 13 says this, uh, If any of you lends at interest and takes profit, shall he then live? He shall not live, because he has done all these abominations he shall surely die. Chapter 22, verse 12, uh, has it again. In you they take bribes to shed blood. You take interest and profit and make gain of your neighbors by extortion. But me you have forgotten, declares the Lord God. You see why Nehemiah gets so angry here? He says, don't you fear God? The God who rescued us out of Egypt? The God who sent us into captivity for these very practices? Do you not care if we end up back there again? This isn't good. Now, we live in a time and a culture where um, our motto is very much uh, be and let be, or live and let live, isn't it? We don't like to concern ourselves too much with other people's issues, concerns, or wrongdoings. Um, we don't want to be seen as too judgmental, do we? And if people have got a, got a thing against us, we're kind of like, who are you to judge me? Uh, like, who, what, what makes you the person who can tell me what I'm doing wrong? And we've, we're so quick to self-justify ourselves. I can justify almost anything in my life if I kind of put my mind to it. But Nehemiah here doesn't just live and let live. He's concerned for the people of God. He's concerned about the way that they are treating each other. 
because it matters. Ought, you ought to walk in the fear of God, God, he says. Don't you fear what God can do to his church, to his people? Don't you care about the name, the reputation of God's people and God himself for those around about? The way that God's people treat each other matters. Now, although Nehemiah is angry, we notice very clear that his anger is not the thing that dictates his response. Verse six, verse seven, sorry. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and officials. Nehemiah is angry and then he breathes deeply for a little while and he thinks about it. And then he calls an assembly for all the people to be there. And very publicly, he brings these charges against the nobles and the officials. He tells them plainly and clearly that what they are doing is wrong. The thing that you are doing is not good. Verse 10, he points to his own example. He points to his own way that he's continued, which he's going to do a little bit later, and we'll come to that. And then he calls, not just for them to stop, but to repent. He calls them to change. Verse 11, return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. He calls them to stop. And he calls them to repent. And by the grace of God, and by the power of his word, they do exactly that. Nehemiah makes them swear an oath. He brings the priests in and he, and he swears an oath. And then he warns them very sternly with this kind of acted out play. He, he turns out the folds of his garment. Where, where he might have kept some treasures or some special things to him, and they, they fall out on the ground. And he says, this is what's going to happen. This is what God's going to do to you if you go back to this practice. If you continue to take and to use one another for your own benefit and your own gain. You see, we're quite tempted to say, aren't we? Well, what really counts is me and God. What really counts is my walk with him, my relationship with him, that I'm, I, I'm, doing, I'm doing the right things by God. What, what does it matter if I'm a bit of a taker in the life of God's people? What, what does it matter if I, if I kind of, people get used along the way? Well, it does matter. It matters to God, and it should matter to us. Now, am I pointing the finger at anybody here? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, do I think that there's people here who are selling other people's children into slavery? I don't think so. I really hope not. We've got an entirely different sermon uh, if that's going on, um, but, but, but not quite. But it does matter. 
I want to suggest that what this is talking about starts in the heart and it flows out into our actions. It's an attitude of our hearts which says, I'm here for me, me first, and probably me alone, and I don't really mind if I use people along the way as long as I'm kind of getting out of things what I need to. Maybe that shows in our hearts more than it does outwardly. Maybe it's an attitude which says, I'm going to just come along on Sunday because it's good for me and I'm going to get something out of it and I'm going to be encouraged and built up and, well, if other people get something along the way, that's kind of nice. Maybe it's an, an attitude that says, oh, it doesn't matter if I hurt someone. It's a reluctance to forgive and to be gracious and to heal hurts. Maybe it's an attitude which says, the concerns of others don't need to concern me too much. I'll carry on on my own happy way. It's to be selfish with our time, with our love, with our gifts, with our resources, with our money, and with our homes. And it matters. It matters to God, and it should matter to us. We are changed people because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are different, renewed, transformed. That's how we used to live, but not anymore. It's quite interesting that at the end of this first section, when, ne when Nehemiah talks about the shaking out, it's, says that all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. You notice that when this practice stopped, what happened? The people worshipped God, honoured Him, rejoiced in His goodness, because they were no longer being abused and oppressed by one another. What we have in the rest of this chapter then is an outline of a new way and a different way for us. One that is modelled, is personified in a sense through Nehemiah. Some people have suggested that verses 14 to 19 here are kind of out of place because they do really cover the entire time, the 12 years that Nehemiah spends as governor of Judah. But I don't think it's random at all. It's intended here to give a different way, a new way forward for God's people. And it's a way of generosity. Now his prayer at the end of this in verse 19 is difficult, but I think it, it highlights this. Jump, jump down there to have a look at it. Look what he says. He says, 
Remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. Now, we first read this and we go, this, I, I'm not really comfortable with this prayer. It seems a little egotistical, doesn't it? I kind of put it on the, some of those things that Paul says about himself as an example that everybody should follow. We get a little bit scared about that. Doesn't this kind of like fly in the face of Ephesians 2? You know, where we're saved by grace so that no one can boast and good works that God prepared in advance for, for us to do? Well, I, I want to suggest that there is a, a different way of looking at this prayer. Nehemiah is praying that God would use his life and his ministry for the good of God's people. Nehemiah in these verses, and we'll look at them in a minute, he outlines the generosity that he has shown out of fear for God and out of love for the people. And he is praying, God, use this. Remember this. Use this for your purpose. He's praying that his own example wouldn't be wasted, but used by God then and even used by God today. So how does Nehemiah show a way of generosity? Well, Nehemiah, at his own personal expense, meets many of the needs of the people that are going on around him. Firstly, we read that he refuses to take the king's tax. He refuses to take what he by right can take from the people for his own administration. And he does that because he doesn't want to place an additional burden on God's people who are already struggling. Secondly, we read in verse 16 that he doesn't acquire land. He and his servants put the effort into rebuilding the wall rather than building up a property portfolio, which he quite well and rightly could have done. And then thirdly, we read that instead of taking the king's tax and taking the, what, the king's allowance for governors, he feeds a great amount of people out of his own expense. 150 men every day and others who came along who dropped in at dinner time. Uh, and each day he prepares a large amount of food and he does this out of his own pocket. What sort of example does he set? He sets an example of generosity. Where you use what you have, what has been given by God, for the benefit and the blessing of his people. You use whatever resources God has given you, not simply accumulating more, but lovingly in service of God and in service of others. And in this, in Nehemiah, we are pointed to the greatest example of all in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have the ultimate example of servanthood and generosity. What does it say in Philippians chapter 2? That your attitude should be the same as, as Jesus Christ. 
Though, though being in the form of God, he considered himself nothing. He humbled himself. He became one of us. He was obedient to death on a cross. He was God, and yet he emptied himself to serve us. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 8? But you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. It's his wonderful servant-hearted humility and generosity which brings us into his kingdom in the first place. It's his pouring out of his life for us that makes us his own children, that brings us forgiveness for our selfishness and our self-centeredness and our take-take-take attitude. He's the one that ends our rebellion against God and our living for self and he makes it possible for us to love and to serve and to be generous now with each other. He models generosity. And his generosity leads us to a life of generous loving and giving. It's one thing to stop taking. And it's the next step to start being generous with the things that God has given us for the benefit and the blessing of others. Yeah, that's talking about money, partly. Talking about generous with our finances and with our possessions. Generous to the church when it needs it. Generous with one another when there is need for that. But it's more than money. The church is at its best when the church is generous in the things where society is poorest. The church is at its best when it is generous with one another in the very things that are in short supply. Maybe today that's not so much money. Maybe it's time. Time is where people are poor. People are crying out for someone to give them some time. Generosity to take time to spend with people shows a tremendous love and concern. We all know that we have lots of time pressures and lots of competing priorities. Are we generous with our time with each other? Or are we stingy and resentful? When it comes time to decide whether we're coming to meet together on a Sunday and there's lots of time pressures, are we going to be generous with our time with each other or stingy? Are we going to withhold from each other what should be freely and lovingly given? Are we going to hang around and be generous with our time? Be generous with each other? 
Not only is it time, but it's genuine friendship and love. We live in a time where we are short of genuine loving friends, aren't we? Most of us can count those kind of close friends well on not too many fingers and hands and toes. Imagine a church that was genuinely generous in its loving friendship. Generous in folding people into our lives and sharing their lives with each other. Imagine the encouragement. Imagine the building up that would take place. And not just, not just with the people who are easy to be friends with. That's kind of, well, that's easy. That's why they're easy friends. But maybe friends with people with whom it's a little more difficult. It takes a little more sacrifice and a little more time. It's to be generous with the gifts that God has given us. Those spiritual gifts, those Holy Spirit-enabled abilities that are not actually given to us at all. They're actually given to the church through us. We bear them for the building up and the encouragement of each other. How generous are we? How generous will we be for the building up of God's church, for the building of his kingdom, for the sake of his name, his renown? Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you have been so wonderfully and incredibly generous with us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, God, we recognize that that generosity does not come because we earned or deserved it. Lord, but out of love, you sent your Son to suffer and die for our sin so that we could be brought back to you. Lord God, we pray that this great news would shape us, renew us, and transform us, every single part of us. We pray, Lord God, that it would change and shape and renew our church, our community, our family. Lord God, we do pray that you would work within us so that we would be generous with one another as you have been generous with us. Lord God, where we have been stingy and withholding, we pray, Father, that you would forgive us. Confront us, Lord God, with our stinginess. Confront us with our sin. Forgive us, Lord God, and please make us generous people. Make us generous in time, Generous in love, generous with the use of our gifts. We ask Lord, this, Lord God, for your name's sake. Amen.